Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs and chapter number 16, the book of Proverbs and chapter 16. We've been going through the book of Proverbs in the last part of this year as we've been looking for wisdom and hitting this wonderful book. Now remember that the book of Proverbs is not like some of the epistles where we go line upon line, that each one of them is a uh, special, unique thought principle that we could grab through the Bible. And because of that, the book of Proverbs, even to the rest of the year, are, we're just going to highlight some very good practical helps, things that we need, things that we could refer back to. Now, tonight is going to be a verse that most of you, if you've been saved for any stretch of time, has heard before. However, maybe not have an understanding. Now, as we approach this tonight, sometimes when we preach a message, it's very easy to say, well, preachers preaching to so-and-so and preachers preaching to so-and-so. Our attendance is down tonight, and I think that's ordered by the Lord, so you can't assume that it's for someone else. If you're here tonight, God meant for you to have it. And so don't assume that so-and-so is missing it or preachers really letting so-and-so have it. You're so-and-so tonight. You are the person that this message is intended. You could just imagine for tonight, you're the only person in this room. And we're preaching to you. And this message is for you. So with that in mind, look with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Proverbs chapter 16. The book of Proverbs chapter 16. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 1. Proverbs 16 and verse 1, the Bible says this. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. But the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark a phrase that we find in the book of Proverbs chapter 16. The book of Proverbs chapter 16, and notice with me in verse 3, commit thy works unto the Lord. Commit thy works unto the Lord the Lord. And with this, this is going to be a very practical help tonight as we understand this passage in its context, the principle that's given and the solution, which is commit thy works unto the Lord. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you tonight, I recognize I need a supernatural dose of your spirit tonight. That I have very little physical ability, mental ability, or even spiritual ability. But you have it all. And we can trust you. You can get your own work accomplished. I just want to be a vessel. And so I surrender my thoughts, my ambitions, my goals, what I want to get accomplished, the things I want to see done. Lord, that's all you tonight. Whatever you'd like to do. And I can trust you to do your own work through your precious word. Lord, do something revolutionary. Do something life-changing. Do something that would just 
affect the rest of eternity and the rest of our lives when we understand this principle in its entirety. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is an important passage. And if you don't mind, let's kind of just walk through it. Build a case to its conclusion. The first thing I'd like to bring to you in verse number one is our planning and next steps belong to the Lord. Our planning and next steps belong to the Lord. Notice if you don't mind in verse one, the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So we start off by seeing that our planning and our next steps belong to the Lord. Notice the word preparations. Notice this word is in its plural form. So it's not just the preparation as a whole, our vision of the future, but this preparations comes with it, our planning of the future with each of our steps. The preparations of the heart in man, the preparations of the answer of the tongue, the next step, the things that need to be decided for the future. The idea of the word preparations is to let us know there are many plans and many steps ahead of us that need to be decided. Think about your life. Your life in the future is unlimited possibilities. How are you going to get to the end result? By decisions. You're going to make a decision about what you're going to do. You're going to make a decision from basic decisions, what time I'm going to wake up. You're going to make a decision when I'm going to eat for breakfast. You're going to make a decision about my attitude during work. You're going to make a decision about how well I'm going to work. You're going to make a decision about what you're going to eat at night. You're going to make a decision about when you go to bed. You understand your day is full of decisions. And you line up those decisions of a day with another decisions of a day. And you have step by step by step. Now, as we start off, we understand that the preparations of the heart and man and the answer of the tongue, these things that need to be prepared have to be ordered by God. Why? Because left to our own devices, we don't have enough information. Think about a young person with a bright future ahead. When we look at a young person, a teenager, uh, we have several teenagers who are getting to be young adults. We look at them and we're asking them, what are you going to do when you grow up? We look at them and ask, you know, with the idea, what are you planning for your life? We're looking at them and they're not married yet, but we're looking, they're going to get married. They're going to have a good life. We're not asking, all right, how are you going to ruin your life? We're not looking at them what mistakes you're going to make. We talk to them as if they have endless possibilities because they do. And we get excited as older folks looking at the younger folks. What are you going to do? Now, I don't know any young folk who says the dream of my life is to be a real life bomb. I want to be homeless, living on a bench. I want to have my life ruined. I want to be crying myself to sleep at night. I want others to swear at my name every time they hear it. Well, if nobody makes that decision, what happened? How did they get there? Well, the preparations of their heart belong to the Lord. The steps they need to make, the decisions that need to be made need to be ordered by God. Now think about the young people that we have 
every teenager have the five biggest decisions that are going to affect the rest of their life they're going to make within the next 10 years. And they are less equipped to make those decisions than they will later on. But they have to make them now because those are the next decisions. What decisions are they going to have? Where are you going to live? What job will I have? Who will I marry? Where will I go to church? Who will my friends be? Those are the five biggest decisions that will determine the course of their life. And they are not equipped to make those. For those of us who are older and when we got married, you ever think about how unprepared you really are when you're getting ready to say, I do? The doubts that started maybe going through, is this the right person? What if I make a mistake? You start realizing that those consequences, those decisions have tremendous weight and importance. And yet for a young person who's just like, I'm just trying to survive today. I'm just trying to do my homework. They're not prepared to make those decisions. Now go back to adulthood. Those who of us who are middle age, older, your life's not over. God still wants to use you. And just like these young people, you have decisions that need to be made before your life to accomplish what God has given you to do. And may I say you're not equipped to make those decisions either? If you want to be end up where God wants you to be, you are not equipped to make those decisions. We must understand these steps in our life must be given by God. And we have to learn to go to him. What is my next decision? What is my next thing? The correct decisions need to be ordered by God. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue. May we just take a little segue here as well that most of us are very ill-equipped to speak. Just hang around us for all day and watch all the things that we misspeak about, that we mess up on, that we say the wrong way. And that we're not even equipped to speak. If we were wise, we would just travel around with a muzzle because we can't even trust what comes out of our mouth. <laughs> and even the things that we say, the steps, the preparations of the heart for what we say must be ordered by the Lord. Or we'll mess everything up, not just by our decisions, but by our tongue. We are ill-equipped to survive day-to-day -day with our own vocabulary, with our own knowledge of speaking. We are not equipped. So the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. We have to go to him and allow him to help us with these decisions. Hold your finger here and we see that the book of Jeremiah highlights this idea. Look with me, Jeremiah chapter 10. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 10, and notice with me in verse 23, as we see inside of Jeremiah, this same thought pretty much repeated. Jeremiah 10 and verse 23, it says, O Lord, 
I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh walketh to direct his steps. Jeremiah is saying, listen, I know it's left to my own devices. I can't direct my own path. I can't direct it. I have to have God. God, I need you to correct me. Verse 24, oh Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not mine anger lest thou bring me to nothing. He says, listen, I need my step corrected. I need my thinking corrected. I need to be readjusted because I can't trust my own decisions. I can't trust my own tongue and I can't even trust my own thoughts. I need you to course correct me. I need you to direct me. Now, this is going to be building up to this. You are not equipped to make decisions no matter how super spiritual you think you may be. You are not equipped to make decisions to end you to where God wants you to be, no matter how intelligent you may be or how much life experience you think you may have. You are not equipped. What do we need? We need God to course correct us. With that, we're going to build to it. We have to be willing to allow God to course correct us. There is nothing like someone realizing he's on the wrong path, but refusing to change. Let God direct your path. Let God change your mind. Let God fix your thinking. Let God show you the next step. We are even capable of finding the next step ourselves. You direct our thoughts. With that, turn with me back to Psalm of Proverbs. Get to the right book. Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16, and let's look at verse number two. So we're building a case. First of all, we know that our steps, our preparations, our plans, they need to be ordered by God because we have lots of decisions ahead of us, but we can't make the right ones to ourselves. And to prove it, we look back at our own history. How many times we made the wrong mistake? How many times we've said the wrong thing? How many times we've ended up at the wrong place? We can't trust ourselves no matter how much we think that we've got it. We don't. We have to have God direct our steps. We need God's help. We need him to course correct us. Notice if you don't mind verse two, we see something else. The problem with our planning is our thoughts. The problem with our planning is our thoughts. Notice with me in verse two. All, notice that word all. All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. That's a powerful verse in verse two. All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes. If we were to restate that, we could say this. Every decision you've ever made, you thought was the right one. There's none of us who are foolish enough. I'm making an assumption None of us are foolish enough to say, you know what? I know I'm going to make a bad decision and I'm going to do it anyways. The decisions we make, we think are good. Now, (laughs) we may foolishly think, well, I know it's not going to be beneficial to anyone else, but it's what I want to do. It's good for me here and now. We we may have enough sense to know that (laughs) I'm fixed to engage in something in the flesh and I know it and I want to, but this is what I think I need right now. But every decision that you've made, even the horrible ones, were good. you thought were good decisions at the time. Well, I thought it was wonderful to date this person. Oops, that was a mistake. 
I thought it was wonderful to make this purchase online. Oops, that was a mistake. (laughs) We think that they're good ideas at the time. We think that they're good plans. Every single one of us don't purposely say, I'm going to find the worst decisions and purposely choose that. Well, if you never purposely chose all the decisions, how did you end up with all these bad decisions? Because we can't trust our own thinking. Our own thinking is flawed. That's why we can't trust our own decision making and our own thinking. Our biggest problem with planning, finding out what the next step, trying to make decisions is our own thinking. The Bible explains that in our own eyes, we're clean. We believe that what we're doing is right. Notice how many times the Bible re-emphasizes this point. We're not going to turn to all the passages, but there sure is a lot of them. Just look with me in a couple. Notice with me, if you don't mind, Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21, and notice with me verse 2. Proverbs 21, verse 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. It's pretty much restating the same thing. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Every decision that you've made, you thought was the right decision for you at that time. Good, bad, or indifferent. Notice with me in Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. A very familiar verse, but if you haven't had the pleasure of marking it, why don't you do that now? Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. The heart is deceitful. That means it will lie to you. And then notice the the modifier after that, above all things. Your heart will lie to you more than anything else. Your heart says, this is a great decision. Let's do this. Hey, this is a good choice. Let's do this. Hey, this is a good plan. Let's do this. Your heart lied to you. But notice what else it's described of. And desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. You know, if you were to depend upon your own heart, you would end up with bad decisions every time. Why? It's wicked. The idea is that it has no desire to follow God's will. So if you followed your own desires, you will be guaranteed not to be in God's will. All of us who have lived part of our life living in our own heart have found out we were not in God's will. We ended up far away from God's will because our heart said this is the right thing. I know this is like anti-Disney, but exactly. You can't follow your own heart. You can't trust it. It's going to lie to you. It's going to tell you things that are not true because it doesn't want you to follow God. It's going to put, give decisions every time to keep you from following God. Then it says, who can know it? You can't even know your own heart. What does this mean? You can't even tell when your heart's lying to you. You can't trust its motives. This is the best thing for you. All right, heart, let's do this. Oops, that was a mistake. You can't trust your own thoughts. Your own heart will lie to you. And if we can't trust our own heart, we can't trust the decisions we make. All of this is putting an emphasis. We have big, big decisions that need to be made. If we're going to be at the place where we're following God's will, the bottom line is, is we can't trust our own decision making. We can't trust our own heart. 
We can't trust our own thoughts. We have to have God course correct us. We need God to direct our steps. We need God to change where we're headed. Not us change how we're headed. God has to change how we're headed. We can't even rely on our own judgment. Turn with me to Proverbs 14. Again, we're just looking at several different places here that says we can't trust our own thoughts. We can't trust our own hearts. We can't trust our own decisions. Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14. Notice with me verse 12. Proverbs 14 and verse 12. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You can't trust your own decisions. This ways is this path. The path that you say, this is the right path. This is what I'm supposed to do when I grow up. This is who I'm supposed to marry. This is where I'm supposed to live. These are the friends I ought to have. All those ways, if you made those decisions, are going to lead you to death, separation from God, being away from God's will, being at the place where you have to overcome a lot just to be usable. There's so much. The ways that you make a decision for are going to be the wrong decisions. And the Bible says are the ways of death. No one can trust your own heart. No one can trust your own decision making. You can't do it. In fact, we're not turning there, but in Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9, God explains that his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. He doesn't think like we do. Now... (laughs) We think that we know what's going on, but God's ways don't even match our thinking. And so whereas we think it's right, God says, what are you doing? What are you, why'd you do that? It's almost like a kid. I don't know. By the way, they don't know why they did it. They just did it. Why'd you do that? I don't know. <laughs> Trust it my heart. Well, We end up in the wrong spot. We cannot trust our hearts. We must include God in our planning. Turn back with me, Proverbs 16, and look again at verse 12. So we start off that we have some huge decisions in our life. Whether you're a young person and you have a life full of decisions ahead of you, or if you're middle age, older, You still want to be used of God. You still have decisions to be made. Things aren't over yet. As long as you have breath, there's still hope for you. How do I end up in the place where God wants me? All of those decisions are vital decisions. We also understand the principle, I can't trust my own decision making. I can't trust my heart. It's going to lie to me. I can't trust my own decisions. It's good. Even when I think it's right, even when I feel it's right, even when I think I have evidence it's right, it's always going to be wrong because my own decisions aren't trustworthy. End of verse two, but remember that's the opposite of it's putting two thoughts together and comparing them opposite All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. The spirits here is carrying a picture or the idea of all the paths, our hearts, our decisions, and he knows which way is the right way. This isn't speaking about false spirits. It's speaking about our spirit. God knows all of it. We could trust him. He knows how to get us from A to B. So, 
I'm building up a case because if you preach verse three by itself, you get nice, uh, beautiful Hallmark cards. You get nice little ornaments to hang up on your window. You get a nice wall banner. But if you don't take it in context, you've got something that's Christian cute, but no substance. We're building up a case. You can't trust your decisions, but you got important decisions that need to be made. How do I make these decisions? We must have God course correct us. We must have God lead us. We must have God direct us. So the practical question is, how does that happen? Verse three, God fixes our thoughts when we give him our works. God fixes our thoughts when we give him our works. Verse three is again, Christian cute. Any Christian who's been saved for a while and has access to any kind of Christian store, Christian card, Christian mug, Christian t-shirt has seen this verse. And yet very few people understand this verse. In context, we can't trust our own decisions. We can't trust our own paths, left our own devices. We're just going to lead the wrong way. We're going to get further away from God. We have to have God lead us every way. God has to direct us. God has to course correct us. How does he do that? And now let's be practical. Again, verse three is often preached theologically, meaning it's really good, but what's the substance? How does this mean? Do I say, all right, God, I surrender my thoughts, my opinions. I surrender it. And tomorrow I'm just going to go out there and do the best I can. That's how most of the time this is preached. Practically. Remember, we're looking for God to course correct us. How does God course correct us? Commit thy works unto the Lord. Write that statement down somewhere. I know that it's already in the Bible. Write that statement somewhere down. How do we commit our ways to the Lord? Let's be practical. We want God to course correct us. Do I just say, all right, Lord, I commit my thoughts, my direction to you, and then go tomorrow and watch me mess up the day. Now, let's be honest. Don't do a raise of hand. How many of you have attempted to do that? i I know I've done that so many times. You don't have to raise your hand because I'm assuming I'm just in your own mind. Yeah, Lord, that was a good message. I need to commit my ways to you. And then tomorrow I find I messed it up. Lord, I thought I gave you my way. How did this happen? Do we miss something? Probably. Commit our ways to the Lord. What does that mean practically? What does that mean? This is the help that we're looking for. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts will be established. Let's do the commit thy works to the Lord. How does God direct us? By biblical authority. How does God course correct us? By biblical authority. How does God correct us? That's one of the reasons why he gives a local church a pastor. Why? To help course correct you. Why does he give us biblical authority? To course correct us. Well, my biblical authority in my life is not right. They're not even a Christian. Doesn't matter. God uses biblical authority to help direct your traffic. He knows how to use authority. God works through biblical authority. But just apply it to your pastor as an idea. 
God uses your pastor to help course correct you. Does that mean that he helps make decisions for you every step of the way? No. But what he's going to do is he's going to give you things to obey. Now notice this statement at the end of verse 3. They go together. Commit thy works unto the Lord and, notice the word and, these are connected thoughts. These work together. They are not separate. Commit thy works to the Lord and thy thoughts will be established. What we find is an order of operations. You surrender first and obey. Then your thoughts will be established. This is how most people operate. If I understand it, then I'll obey. God says, no, you obey first, then I'll give you understanding. The pastor gave me something that doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. Here's a principle about biblical authority. As long as it's not illegal, immoral, or unbiblical, we're commanded to obey. Unless it is illegal, immoral, and biblical, you are not only commanded to obey, you are to do your best to obey it. I'm going to illustrate this in a second, but most people don't grab that. They nod their head and smile, and then they default to, well, I'll choose. That sounds good. Maybe it's not for me. You evaluate whether you're going to obey or not. You are in violation of this verse. This verse doesn't work for you. You're not going to have your thoughts established. You're not going to have your paths established. Well, pastor told me to do this. Whatever. You violated this principle. You can't trust your own decision making. Now, we're not trying to make you little robots. That's opposite of what we're preaching here. Okay? That's, we're not trying to make me a dictator where I'm dictating every area of your life. It's not about me. It's about you. You can't trust your heart. How does God course correct us? By us submitting ourselves to God. So remember, submission is with your heart. Let me give an illustration of how most people obey. I have a stupid cat. I love the cat, but she is stupid. She is the dumbest cat that I've ever had. And I mean stupid as intelligent. She is just a, just a dumb brick. But I love her. She hates, and I mean hates is underscored, hates being picked up. You know, it will ruin her life if you picked her up. Just absolutely. So, this cat will sometimes want to get on a cabinet. All right? And she wants to jump up. For some reason, she's a little bit timid. She's, you could tell that she's looking. She's trying to think, can I make the jump? She's doing calculations in her head. She's trying to figure out if there's something on top of it that, you know, she's going to run into. I, I mean, there's a lot of things. You could see her. Just, all right, I want to. Maybe, all right. And, and she's not pulling the trigger, but she's there for a couple minutes just trying to, you know, get up. That's where I want to be. I want to be there. So I'm like, I'll help you out. I will pick you up and put you there where you want to be in the first place. What happens is I grab her, the claws grab the side of whatever she has, and she doesn't let go. She's, no, no, I'm trying to get you there. No, she's grabbing a hold. This is a cat who's learned how to distribute her weight. That she becomes like a bowling ball when <laughs> she just claws and everything and just refuses. That's how Christians usually obey. 
they know where they're supposed to go, but they got their claws out and they fight. You say, all right, well, how does that go up practically? All right, so we'll have a message. You need to submit to biblical authority unless they give you something illegal, moral, biblical. You need to do it. Sounds good. So what happens, someone in biblical authority says, hey, go do this. I think we should do it this way. Well, I think that we think you do. Have you considered this and whatever else? You've disobeyed. You've not done your heart. You've not submitted. You're grabbed a hold of this and trying to reason it out about this. Your thoughts are not established because you haven't submitted. You are still trying to figure out if it makes sense, then I will do it. Rather than a full surrender, and that's what it is. This is a full surrender. As no matter what pastor gives me in this specific case, no matter if it makes sense or not, as long as it's not illegal, immoral, biblical, yes, sir, is my answer. All right? We work with kids. All right. I'll be specific. Make tea. But, but it's their fault, whatever I made it yesterday and whatever. All right? <laughs> is there a submission there? No. It's fighting and wrestling. Their thoughts aren't established because they're submitting. Now, I'm using a kid illustration for something that we could all understand. I meant you get the, all right, <laughs> go take out the trash. But five more minutes, mom, I'm almost done. Let me finish this. And they're grabbing a hold and they're do, fighting and they're not submitted. And thus, they're not going to have their thoughts established and they're not going to prepare. It is a heart matter. It is a heart matter. No matter what is said by biblical authority, unless it is <coughs> illegal, immoral, biblical, we're supposed to do it. Now, we understand there's a side thing of this. This mission's not silence. It's saying the right thing in the right place, the right time, the right person. That's a principle. That's on the side. But for here, you guys understand what we're speaking about because we have that fight. <laughs> we could watch people and it's amazing. I like watching people. All right, you need to submit, you need to obey. Watch them go around and get instruction by biblical authority. Not a full surrender. Now, here's the principle again. We have decisions in our life that are vital and important if we're going to serve God. We cannot understand our own thoughts in our own hearts. Our thinking gets us in trouble. We have to have God course correct us. So God says he uses biblical authority to course correct us. And we must commit our works to the Lord. What does that mean? No matter what you tell me, God, I will obey. That's what that statement means. Whatever you tell me, I will obey. Now, how does God speak to us? He speaks to us primarily through his word. We understand that. He speaks through his word. That means that if God gives you something from his word, you go, well, I don't really know if this is what I need to do. <laughs> we'll give principles. We're on a Wednesday night crowd. You guys are obedient, but I watch over the years. Someone who's struggling with Christianity. And let's, let's get the rest of verse three. Commit thy works to, uh, to the Lord and thy thoughts should be established. The word established carries with it a sense of security and permanence. 
when your thoughts are established. So here's an illustration. A Christian who's struggling in their Christian life. They've got decisions they need to make and they're just like, I'm just messing things up and I'm just... So biblical authority says you need to be at church every time the doors are open. Is that because I need a bigger audience? No, it's because they need to obey. We're giving them something to obey. And so they go, eh, and they don't show up. And they show up every now and again, and maybe they get a running of a couple services in a row, and then it's kind of, and then they wonder, why is it my Christian life more established? Why am I still struggling? Because they violated this verse. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts should be established, settled, secured, nailed down. I can know that I'm in God's will. How? I've submitted to what he has given to me with my heart, and he has brought me to the place where I see it was God's will. He led me step by step by step. How does God lead us? Now again, modern Christianity, we're all rebels at heart. We don't like to obey. We want to find a reason to disobey. We want to find a reason, well, he didn't quite mean it. I mean, everyone knows that every week I'm going to say the greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to read the word of God for himself. And yet I have Christians that, well, just uh, not every day. Maybe just, you know, if I, (laughs) am I joking? No, I'm trying to help them. Or, oh, fine, I'll just read my Bible. Is that submission? No. And they wonder why things aren't being established. Why am I still making wrong decisions? Why am I still having problems? Why am I still having spiritual problems? Why am I not settling here? Obedience. Commit thy works to the Lord. Now, again, this is practical. Now, I wish that this was a Sunday morning message. But we're trying to get our Wednesday night crowd to get established on this. This is who God's directed it to. All the Sunday morning people need this. But the Sunday morning people will go, okay, Lord, uh, direct my path. All right, tomorrow. And then they mess it up. We understand. There's a maturity that's required for this verse. What is the maturity? The maturity to be able to surrender your heart to God in full submission to what he has given us to do. Not try to ponder, does this work for me or not? Or I'll obey, but I'm going to add my own flourishes to it. Or I'll obey, but I'll I'll kind of tweak it and do it my way. That's not submission. That's violating this principle. What was told? Are you submitted to what was given to you? Now, (laughs) I'm repeating it over and over and over and over, hoping to get it established. Why? Because I want God's will for each and every one of you. And this is the clear principle. By the way, it's given in the Bible several times. You obey first, then comes understanding. You obey first, then your thoughts are established. You obey first, then you get knowledge. God doesn't work any other way. He doesn't... He doesn't... I'm trying to be careful with how I just work this one. He's not looking for robots. But he knows we are going to mess up every decision that's left to us. So God is telling us to let him make the decisions 
for us. Now, again, he's not trying to turn us into robots and he's not trying to be a dictator. He's trying to get us to willingly submit to him because we trust him and we can't trust ourselves. No, notice that word and. It's not we trust him because we can't trust ourselves. We trust him and we can't trust ourselves. All of this idea of committing your way to the Lord proves I trust God. If you have an obedience problem, if you have a fight problem, if you're trying to I'll obey, but uh, fight, it's proof and evidence that you don't trust God. You see, this is where it all begins to. Can I trust God? If I can trust God, then I could trust him to give me the next step and me obey that step. I will obey what God's given me to do. If we want a room full of super Christians, and I use the word in quotes, but I think you understand what I mean here. It comes when we have a full surrender, Lord, whatever you tell me to do. And as soon as biblical authority gives it to me, I'm on it. What will happen is that we will have a super spiritual church, not in a bad way, but in a way that surrender to God and watching miracles happen. We will watch so many amazing things happen. By the way, another word for this is revival. What is revival? When we finally surrender to God, let him be God. Let him choose our way. And then we go, wow, look at what God did. People say, how did that happen? It wasn't us. I didn't do anything. God did it. We just obeyed and look at what happened. This is a biblical principle found throughout the word of God that we can't trust our thoughts and we have these big decisions that have to be made. What is our part? Surrender, submit, obey, let him direct our path. When we stop fighting and we surrender, we notice that our paths and our thoughts are established, secured, nailed down, permanent. That we find that we're not waving around. Oh, Lord, I'm struggling. Woo! And, you know, riding the wave. Some of us have rode that wave long enough that we know that ride. Wouldn't it be wonderful to get off that ride? And to be able to say, I know I'm in God's will. <laughs> with confidence, this is what God has given me to do. If you don't mind, turn with me to my life verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I told you this passage is preached throughout the word of God. Romans 12, 2 is the New Testament embodiment of this verse. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Notice this. We're presenting our works, our bodies, our physical nature, what we do to God. We present our bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Notice this. Here is a full surrender. If you're being disobedient or picking what you abused, <laughs> what you obey, is that acceptable? No. Is it holy? No. Is it surrendered? No. no. You present your bodies a living sacrifice. Lord, it's no longer my life. It is yours to do with whatever you want. And whatever you say, this is going to do it because it's not. I trust God. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Then notice this reasonable service. This whole time, if someone's an outsider listening, they're like, God's just trying to get people just to follow him. He wants to be a dictator. No, he's saying this is your reasonable service. This whole message, God is trying to do some, ask you to do something reasonable. And for those who surrender and fight or choose what you want to obey or fight whatever else, you are being unreasonable. Unreasonable service. So verse 1 speaks about surrendering our lives, committing our works to the Lord. Then remember what happens. Then our thoughts will be established. Notice with me verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is our mind renewed? That is not our action. That is a God action. We surrender our bodies. God establishes our thoughts. God removes, renews our mind. He changes our thinking. Then notice this, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That word prove doesn't mean I find God's will. It means I obeyed and I turned around and found I, this was God's will after all. I am now established. I am secure. I have permanence. I know without a doubt this is God's will for my life. How can you know? I surrender to God and let God direct my thoughts. Let God direct my path. When God told me to do something, how did God tell you to do it? Through the Bible and biblical authority. I said yes every time. And when I said yes every time, God brought me to the place where those decisions brought me to exactly where he wanted me. And without that, I was somewhere where I shouldn't have been. How do I know that I'm in God's will? Because he proved it as I surrendered to him and he directed me. He brought my path. He gave me the next step. He gave me the next step through Bible reading and biblical authority. This is the principle here. So the idea here is I'm really not teaching you something you probably haven't heard before. The reminder is, will you surrender? What does that mean? Well, it means to commit your way to the Lord. All right, does that mean that I say a little prayer? Well, that's probably where you start is you give an honest surrender to God. But then the next time you're given something to obey, no matter how small or simple or silly, you say yes. You don't fight. You don't argue. You don't attempt to find a better way. You don't try to manipulate it. You don't try to weigh your options. The answer should be, yes, sir, and do it. And you'll be amazed about what God can do when we finally stop fighting him. When we stop trying to come up with a different solution. When we stop trying to give God advice and try to help him out of how to do this properly. Let God be God. Now, again, this is helpful because there's many people in the sound of my voice that are currently struggling. You don't have to. It comes with a surrender. And again, define our terms. What does that mean? I'm going to obey everything that God gives me. 
I'm just going to be known as Mr. or Mrs. Obedient. That people are going to say that's someone who obeys God. No matter what God tells them to do, I'm going to obey. That should be the testimony. And you'll watch God do amazing things. The Bible is very clear. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Your part is to commit, to surrender, to obey. His job is to order your thoughts and then give you the decisions he's already going to make for you to, for the decisions you have in your life in the future. Your way or his way. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.